We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hi, everybody. Before we get the show rolling, just want to give you a gentle reminder that you can hear Josh every Monday at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. Josh, the holidays are a time for families to get together. What are some of the responsible things that they should be talking about when it comes to retirement at the dinner table? Well, I don't know that, uh, you know, talking about retirement at the dinner table is going to win you any fan favorite awards. Uh, <laughs> Better than politics, though. The holidays. Yeah, let's talk about, you know, it's Christmas time. Let's talk about retirement income planning. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're going to, that's probably a good way to clear out the holiday table, but if it does come up and you are forced to talk about things, I suppose I can give you some topics that are kind of universally accepted as areas of concern that aren't going to necessarily push hopefully towards, you know, the politic ends of things, which seems to be the the uh, number one way to clear a table during the holidays. Um, one thing that we cannot ignore is that at some point, all of us are going to need retirement income and all of us have to pay taxes. So, you know, in general, you can have conversations about uh, what are some concerns that you think need to be addressed as a result of retirement income? What are some of the challenges and how do you think we can address them? It's a good area of conversation, I suppose. And then, uh, you know, what do you think is going to happen with taxes? But more importantly, uh, after the election, but more importantly, uh, how can we do some things to alleviate that? So my my general rule and know that much like a doctor gets a lot of unusual questions uh, from people, you know, like my foot hurts, how can I fix it? Uh, as a financial investment advisor, I get these questions all the time, and I've certainly learned ways to have conversations without taking anybody off. When you talk about taxes, lean away from, uh, you know, it's because of this politician that our taxes are going to go through the roof for this politician. Rather focus the energy on what are some strategies that we can employ to lessen the tax burden that we have moving forward? So focus on positives rather than negatives. And one of those things would be, um, as it results, as it revolves around uh, our retirement income planning, should we be doing things like, uh, you know, what is a Roth conversion? You can have conversations about that. Or at death, we all die. There's no way around that. At death, do you have your estate plan in order and how are taxes going to be involved in that and what are some ideas that we can do to, to kind of alleviate some of that burden. And then uh, you can talk about gifting. It's a great time to talk about gifting, right? It's the holidays. Uh, that also can have a tax benefit. So 
uh, what are some efficient ways that we can gift to both our family and to charities. Um, retirement income planning, I just think that's a good broad conversation to have where you can say, okay, now, now that can lead any direction. It can lead to the direction of inflation and how do we plan for inflation. It can lead to the direction of what are your plans for long-term care for maybe your older relatives um, and younger for that matter because it's a, it's a, a, a topic of concern for everybody. Um, do you have a will in place to pay to your kids? I mean, so just my suggestion to you, Diane, would be keep these conversations as broad as and universal as possible and try not to dig to fall into the rabbit hole of specifics and politics. And I think that you'll have a good conversation with whomever you're talking to, and hopefully you can uh, maybe garner some information and give a little bit of tidbits of things that they haven't thought about. But stay away from absolutely stay away from politics. Great idea. What about, you know, where the important financial documents are? If the, all the families together, it'd be a good time to say, look at this. If something happens, this is where you find all the information. And I think that falls into kind of estate planning. You know, hey, mom and dad, do you have a will? Uh, I don't want to know who's in it. I don't necessarily want to know how much money I'm going to get, but do you have a will? Do you have a durable power of attorney in the event that something were to happen to you and we have to make decisions on your behalf? Do you have a, a medical power of attorney? What are your wishes? Um, and, and sometimes that can be a difficult conversation because certain people just lock down on it. But in general, you know, I want to make sure that I do, if I'm left to make the decisions, do what you would want to have done because it is, in fact, you. So do you have all your final documents in place? And then beyond that, where would I find everything? In case of an emergency, break glass. Where is that folder so we know where everything is? Because I think you know, we've talked... Uh, over the over the past couple of months about one of the big things that's happening uh, oftentimes is money that just flat out goes un, unclaimed because the beneficiaries didn't even know it existed. So where is the money? I don't need to know how much. I don't need to know account numbers, but where is that, that folder where I can track it down is a very critical element. Great thing to talk about uh, anytime, but if you're forced to stay down that direction or that path, hopefully during the holidays. So never mind what the parents, uh, what their financial affairs are. Is it a good opportunity for parents to talk to their children or their adult children about the importance of, of the children saving for retirement? For sure. I actually had a great meeting uh, last week uh, where a client of mine brought in his adult children. And the whole purpose of it was just to educate them on the importance of saving, basic general guidelines, but more than anything, telling the kids what the advantage of time is and the advantage of time is your biggest advantage and talking about the errors that they make today and how exponentially more drastic they become in the long run or the good decisions they make today how exponentially more beneficial they become over time so i think sometimes that's hard to hear from your parents but maybe uh, if i was in this scenario i would go to you know a, a friend or a brother-in-law and say hey why don't you pull one of my kids over and, and talk to them about the importance of, of getting ahead versus getting behind, the importance of saving, et cetera. Because, you know, oftentimes your kids just don't listen to you as parents near as much as they listen to an outside influence. But it would be a great time to utilize other members of the family to hopefully set the younger generation on a good path. Excellent. In terms of long-term care, too, and, and estate planning, it's a good time to say, look, at if something, this is where I, besides where these are where the documents are, this are what my plans for long-term care for for mom and me. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're kind of swinging back and forth between opposite ends of the spectrum. I think for the younger folks, giving them the sense of urgency to save is the kind of the overwhelming theme. And for the older folks, 
I think you know identifying what are their what are their wishes in the long run and how are they going to handle certain obstacles or how would they like to handle certain obstacles and have they addressed it and one of those like you said is long term care and you know I think the way you start that conversation is if they say I don't want to talk about it say everybody has a long term care plan right now if you don't want to talk about it your long term care plan is you're going to spend all your money until you go broke and then hopefully the government will pick up the tab and hopefully the spouse that is not in the long term care facility uh, will be able to, you know, preserve some semblance of a similar lifestyle economically. So I think, you know, addressing long-term care is important. And at least having the conversation of what is your plan, maybe we'll get them thinking about it. Because, you know, we, we, know, the, we know the stats, Diane. The stats are about half of us are going to end up in a long-term care facility at some point in our lives. So it's not something that we can just say that's not going to happen to me. Because chances are, you know, it's a 50-50 shot it is going to happen to you, which aren't very good odds to say I'm not going to be concerned about it. So broaching the conversation, maybe not giving solutions, but at least identifying the fact that it needs to be addressed could be worthwhile. And this may not be, you know, good to talk about at the holiday table, but definitely have a separate meeting about it. But do you think it's a good idea for people to tell their kids what they're inheriting? That's a tough one. I think that's an individual decision. That's as individualized as... Uh, do you want to retire at 65, 60, or 70? I think it's it's just that individual to the to the person. But, um, I mean, I can tell you my opinion is no, um, at least not early on. I think, you know, if your kids are well into their, you know, you're 85 years old and your kids are 55 or 60 years old, that's a different conversation than I'm 40 with young children. Um, but that's just my opinion. And, you know, that's a conversation probably that we could go talk about for a half an hour about my logic on why, but I don't want to thwart my kids' own growth by giving them uh, a backstop necessarily of knowing they're inheriting a bunch of money. Um, and things can change, you know, and, and I, I find that people will bank upon, I'm gonna inherit this money, but that money might not be there. And if you don't do what you need to do along the way and that safety net falls out, then you're left in a very difficult spot. But again, it's very individualized but uh, make sure you're conscious about it and you don't just throw the number out there. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think just, you know, we know enough about human nature that if someone knows that they are getting a certain amount, then, you know, that might stunt their career growth. Well, and here's the other thing that I've, I've seen a million times. If, if people inherit money and they're not financially or fiscally responsible with their own money, chances are they're going to do a really poor job with that money. So by telling them, hey, you're going to inherit all this money, and they don't go through any sort of fiscal responsibility on their own and learning how to save and learning how to budget money. They just spend every nickel they make and go into debt because they go, what difference does it make? I'm going to inherit a bunch of money. By the time they inherit it, they're going to blow through it so quickly that it's almost a bad thing for them. So I don't want them to know that what they're inheriting is going to be a windfall of security. I would rather them create a situation for themselves that they're taking care of themselves, and then this is bonus uh, because then they'll treat it right. They'll be good stewards of the inheritance. Uh, so just be cautious in saying, hey, great news. Uh, you get a bunch of money that I never got, and you don't have to worry about saving. I think you're doing more damage than good in many instances. But each kid's different. Each person's different. And I know we had talked about this before, but we have new listeners that are listening uh, to the show each week. So I know in my family, and I think you have a, a similar situation in yours, my family feels if you don't need the money, then they're not going to leave it to you. So it ends up working that the people in my family who aren't necessarily motivated are the ones that the parental units consider need the most help. So they're not leaving as much to the to the kids who have actually had success on their own. And, you know, 
not talking personally, but I would think that that is incredibly unfair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, we're getting into the the concept almost arguably of uh, a socialistic, uh, you know, apparendi, if you will, in that um, we take from the ones that are doing well to give the ones that are doing poorly. And, And while that seems like the uh, and I'm certainly not getting into political conversation here, but it seems like the ideological thing to do to level the playing field and make everybody happy. Unfortunately, uh, in the long run, I have never seen that work out favorably. Um, and this is just my experience. I haven't seen it work out favorably. So what I've seen is that if somebody is a uh, not a very good uh, steward of their own money, they're going to be an even worse steward of a windfall. And if somebody is good with money, then they will not blow through that money quickly and maybe even do some good with it. So it's a difficult balancing act. I think the easiest way to handle that is, you know, split it equally. Um, Don't punish the one that succeeded. There's exceptions to this rule, of course. There's certain occupations that just don't pay as much, but people are very motivated. So, again, it's very individualized for sure. But be careful on rewarding uh, people who have not uh, or your children who have not done well in spite of themselves. To learn strategies to manage risk and to schedule your own personalized planning session, give Josh's office a call. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And you can also hear Josh every Monday afternoon at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. And if you miss Josh's visit with Bruce, you can always listen to the podcast at aptuswealth.com. We'll be back after the break. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, are there things that people should have on their to-do list when it comes to saving on taxes this year before before the year ends? For sure. And, and, and most of what I'm going to tell you is not just uh, respective to this year, but every year. Um, there are some things that are very specific to this year. For example, donations. Uh, this year, uh, and we don't know if this is can. can going to continue, but this year you do get a 100% deduction for donations to charitable organizations. As long as you itemize your taxes, you get 100% donations. So that is uh, something that came about through the CARES Act, and that's something that you should look at before the end of the year. Do I, if I'm going to donate money, donate it before the end of the year so I get the tax write-off, assuming that I'm itemizing my deductions. The other would be, and this is not just this year, but again, every year, is Roth conversions. And just to kind of bring us back up to speed on what a Roth conversion is, there's two types of IRAs. The traditional IRA works just like your 401k or 403b in that you've put money into that 
uh, before tax, so you have not paid taxes on the contributions. The money is growing tax-deferred, and every dollar that you pull out of it then goes back into your taxable income category. A Roth IRA, on the other hand, you put in money that you have paid taxes on, but all of the gains and all of the withdrawals that you pull out of that, with a couple of conditions, you have to hold it for five years or longer, et cetera, but all of that money is tax-free. So the concept of a Roth conversion is taking some of those traditional IRA assets or 401k assets and converting them to a Roth, effectively paying the taxes today on those conversions, but never having to pay taxes on gains ever again. It can be a huge advantage, but the secret is kind of in the amount that you decide to do. So every year uh, around November, December, we meet with clients and we go over whether it makes sense to do Roth conversions for those folks who are kind of on that borderline cusp of it making sense. And the idea is today, for example, we still have a 12% tax bracket. Now, prior to the Trump administration, we had a 15% tax bracket for relatively the same income category. So if taxes change in the future, many people that I meet with argue that taxes will more than likely go up. If you believe that, should I do conversions as much in, I'm just using the 12% bracket as an example, in the 12% bracket so that I never have to pay taxes on those dollars ever again, knowing that in the future, the withdrawals I take could put me in the 15 or maybe even 22 or so on and so forth. So looking at Roth conversions every year is a very tactical method of reducing taxes in the future, maybe not necessarily today, but a very proactive approach that you should look at. A lot of people that I have that are either nearing retirement or in retirement kind of have a side gig. You know, they've either retired fully or partially retired, and they've used those skills that they've uh, earned over an entire career to do maybe some consulting work on the side or maybe as simple as just going and getting a job at Home Depot or the local golf course. If you're doing that as a side gig like consulting and you have your quote-unquote own business, make sure you're maximizing the deductions for things like home office, any travel that you've taken, expenses, etc. So make sure you keep track of those things and maximize them to the full your ability. Uh, and then the last thing that I'd say is make sure um, that you've maximized all of your contributions that you can to stock up on your savings. And what I mean by that is it could be your 401k, you know, is you have a month left, call it. Uh, is there any room in the budget to add more money to your 401k to reduce your overall tax liability this year? Um, 529s, if you still have children that are pre-college aged or even uh, high school, private school age, because you can use 529s for that now, um, do you want to make any contributions to a 529 plan for their education? And in Ohio, you get a, sta a state income tax deduction if you use the College Advantage plan for those contributions limited to a certain dollar amount. So do I want to make contributions to 529s? And then lastly, those contributions on savings that we'll talk about at least today would be HSA contributions, and that's a health savings account. Those are also tax deductible, grow tax deferred, and are tax-free if utilized for health care expenses. So make sure you're taking advantage of not only writing off the stuff that you've already spent and doing conversions on monies so you don't have to pay taxes on them in the future, but make sure you're maximizing the contributions to things that will save you taxes today on the money that you can save. Um, and then you know, I'll add one more to that, actually. Make sure if you're subject to, rec uh, not required minimum distributions, but that's a good one. Make sure you take your re required minimum distribution, uh, not due this year, but in future years, make sure you do that. 
but make sure that you have withheld enough money out of your paychecks or particularly your estimated taxes. Because if you don't, you can be penalized on that. So do kind of a general overview of how much money you've made and make sure that you've been holding, withholding enough so you don't have to pay any taxes when you go to file your tax return for 2020. With IRAs, what, what is the maximum for the Roth and traditional per year and a SEP well, IRA as well? Yeah, well, the, 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 there's a, a wide range if you go between the SEP and the traditional and the Roth. For the Roth, um, you can put in, uh, I believe it's 6500 this year, 7500 if you're over the, actually, no, they raised it 7000 this year and 8000 if you're over the age of 50. And that applies to both Roth and the traditional. Uh, the SEP, on the other hand, is based upon your income. Uh, it's a percentage of your income up to a maximum. So that's a little bit different. And SEP stands for self-employed persons. So that only applies to you if you're not covered by another qualified plan and you have your own business. But note that on the traditional and the Roth IRAs, there are income limitations uh, on the traditional for tax write-off ability, meaning if you make too much money, you can't write off the taxes uh, on the income that you put in there. And do, you, and on do we Roth, know what, what the, the amount is? Oh, it's different for married and it's different for single filers. It's different for head of households, et cetera. But um, when you get to note that if you're making over $100,000, start looking at it. How about that? That's a good place to start. But it gauges up from there. And the same thing is true on Roths. On Roth IRAs, if you make too much money, you simply cannot do them. And those are laddered up. And I don't know the, the numbers off the top of my head, but I believe if you're a married couple making more than it's right around one hundred eighty dollars to $200,000, I might be slightly off on there. So definitely check that before you... You go do it. But once you exceed that, you can't even do a Roth anymore at all. So make sure you do that. Also, interesting uh, fact or something that people don't know, if you're married and your spouse does not work, they can still do a Roth contribution based upon your income. So that does not preclude you from doing, being able to do one for you and one for your spouse, even if they don't have their own earned income. Oh. To learn strategies to manage risk and to schedule your own personalized planning session, the number to get a hold of Josh is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Also, hear Josh every Monday at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. If you missed that visit, you can listen to the podcast, and you can find that at Josh's website, aptuswealth.com. Let's talk about long-term health care, Josh. You've said that it is one of the most important things to consider when looking ahead. What do people need to know about their health care options in retirement and how much they end up costing over the years? Well, health care in general, I mean, we talk a lot about long-term care, but uh, let's talk about just traditional health care through you know, the Medicare system. I think it's probably one of the biggest restrictor plates that I hear from folks on when they're going to retire. Uh, you know, I, I could retire at 62, but I'm going to wait until I'm 65 because I have pre-existing conditions and the cost of health care through the old Obamacare system would be so expensive that I simply can't afford to pay it. So I'm going to wait until I'm 65 and I qualify for Medicare. So obviously it's pretty important. Medicare in general, I'll talk about what all the, the pieces and parts of it are. But know this. I know there's a lot of horror stories about Medicare, particularly, you know, if you look back 20 years ago, people would say, oh, I got to go on Medicare. It's such a terrible thing. Well, healthcare in general has gotten so expensive that Medicare used to be expensive, but now it's a pretty darn good option, um, and it's very encompassing if you get a good supplement to go along with it. But that said, the pieces and parts of Medicare are this. Part A is your hospitalization. Everybody that's 65 and older has Part A. It does not cost anything to have Part A. You just have it. Part B is your doctor's visits, so not going to the hospital but going to your doctors. Uh, part B, everybody has to get. 
as long as you're not covered by your employer and you're over the age of 65, you have to have Part B. The amount that you pay for Part B can range widely, and it's based upon your income. It can go anywhere from around the 140 mark all the way up to about the 440 mark. So, I mean, we're talking a wider range. Most people are, are going to fall in that 140, I think it's 145, but that 140-ish mark each. So if you have a husband and wife, you're each paying that amount. So two times that amount for the combined. Then you have Part D. So I'm going to skip over Part C for a second. Part D is your prescription drug coverage. Every to have that too. If you don't get it, you're penalized for not having it. So you have to get Part D. Part D, you go on a website that's government run. You type in kind of the, the prescription drugs that you're on, and it will tell you what the most advantageous plan for you is. And those plans, although are regulated heavily by the federal government, are run by private companies. So you can pick the very cheap plan, or you can pick a very robust plan based upon your needs. Those costs can range anywhere from, you know, 20-some dollars a month all the way up into the hundreds, depending upon what your needs are. And then, and this is where we get most of the conversation from. Some people will call it Part C. Some people will call them Medigap plans, and some people will call them Medicare supplements. I like the term Medigap, even though we don't use it anymore. We use Medicare supplement because effectively what we're doing is filling the gaps. So if you look at Part A and Part B, there will be coverages, but there's a gap in coverage, meaning, and I'm going to use very simple math and no particular specificity here, but let's say it says for this procedure, Medicare Part B will cover 100% after the first $300, or we'll cover the first $300 and nothing after that. Well, you can get Medigap coverages that are cover essentially all of it with a very small copay, that's the entire gap, meaning in those scenarios, it would cover either the $300 or everything beyond $300, whatever that is, after you cover an annual deductible of you know, two or 300 bucks. And that would be kind of the Cadillac of Medicare supplement plans. And then you decide individually, how much of that gap do I want to cover? How great of a supplement do I want? Do I want to spend more for the Cadillac plan or maybe a lower end plan that covers some of it, but is more affordable? Ways to do that. Way number one is a standalone supplement. The advantage of the standalone supplement is if Medicare is accepted, your supplement will in fact be accepted, period. The two it is it's typically more expensive because it's a, if you want to compare it to, you know, what you see on your, your statement from work, it's a PPO plan for all intents and purposes. Then you'll hear something called Medicare Advantage. And Medicare Advantage combines everything that I just said together. So your Part D, your Part B, and your supplement are all wrapped up into one. The difference being, for the most part, that's an HMO plan. So only certain doctors will be available. Even if other doctors take Medicare, they may not take that Medicare Advantage plan. So do your own investigating and figure out which one's most important. But the decisions that you make can have a long-term effect. Meaning, if you pick a bad company for your supplement, well, now that you've had it for a while and you want to change it, there's an enrollment period that you go through. But sometimes you have to qualify for what are your pre-existing conditions for under, you know, underwriting purposes. So it can become more expensive. So make sure you pick a good company and a supplement that works for you. Get some advice and do it right the first time and you will save yourself a lot of potential heartache trying to redo it later. But that can have a epic or super, super beneficial effect on your cash outlay if you play that game correctly. 
The number to call is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, I know this is a this is a tough question. How much does it cost to retire? People want to know. I mean, do they ask you on this, you know, when you're at parties and stuff, like, how much do I need? Or what are what are the biggest questions you get? Yeah, well, we all want simple answers, right? You know, it's it's like, how do I, you know, I know I'm supposed to work out and eat perfectly and do all that stuff, but how can I just be healthy? Well, all that stuff, that's how you, that's how you're healthy. Well, the same thing, you know, what's the exact number for me to retire? Well, it's a pretty loaded question. It depends on, you know, what are your expenses? What, uh, how do you want to retire? You just want to have basic necessities covered and live in a tent? Or do you want to have a mansion uh, down on South Beach and uh, go out to the nicest restaurants every day? So it's an incredibly loaded question. But the thing I don't like is when people, particularly in the news media, answer it. And they'll answer it like, is a million dollars enough to retire on? Great headline. I'm going to listen to that segment, right? And you'll hear oftentimes that you need at least a million dollars to retire. And that's just simply not true. For some people, it's not nearly enough. But for most people, it's simply not true. And I've seen various studies. There's actually one conducted by a, a retirement home community uh, out of the UK that I saw recently that, that analyzed the happiest cities in the world. And they determined that the average person to live comfortably, which is in very strong quotes, comfortably would need on average about $288,000 total in supplemental income to retire, or in supplemental uh, savings to retire. So not $288,000 per year, but $288,000 total as a nest egg beyond things like Social Security, et cetera. Now, I, I don't know that that's the right number, but it's certainly a far cry from a million. Let me give an example. If you look at the average person that has $100,000 income, and they say, uh, how much do I need to retire? And people say a million dollars. Let's analyze that. So if they're saving 15% of their income into their 401k, and they're paying, let's just use very broad math and say they're paying approximately 7% into Social Security and Medicare, and then they're in the, let's just for argument's sake, say 12% bracket plus some state income taxes, let's round and say it's 25%. So we have a total of approximately 40, 40% deductions. That means they're making 100 but they're living on 60. Well, if they're living on 60 net, Social Security is going to be approximately, let's just say, 30,000 of that. So they need to come up with another 30,000. I don't know that you need a million dollars to come up with 30,000, but that violates all the principles that you see. People will say you need 20 times your salary to be able to retire. Well, that would be 2 million. So how, how does that work? These are all rules of thumb that people like to come up with almost arbitrarily so that they can give a very clear and concise answer. I think the easier answer, and what I oftentimes tell people is, if you start saving, if you are not currently saving 15% of what you make, you need to get there. If you haven't been doing that since approximately your 40s, you might need to do more. But if you're doing that, is it the perfect number? Do we need to do better math to, to hone in exactly how much you need to retire? Does it matter how much of those investment assets are in Roth IRAs versus traditional versus your house versus your et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, all of that matters, Diane. But if you want a general rule of thumb, 
If you are not saving 15% of your gross salary currently, you probably need to get there. And if you are just starting the saving process now and you're out of your 40s, you probably need to do more to live exactly like you're living right now in retirement. But the more complicated answer is we have to design a financial plan to analyze what your future budget will look like, what your retirement looks like, gauge the impact of taxes in the future, what we think that's going to look like, what other adjustments do you want to make, what assets do you have, what's your risk tolerance. list goes on and on and on to develop a, a true and accurate financial plan. That's what we really need to do to determine what the number is for you, not what the number is for insert broad brushstroke, you know, some random number that I, I pull off the top of my head to just make me sound like I know exactly what I'm talking about. The answer is more complicated than that. Well, and you say live exactly how you're living now. I think most people need to look at what do they want to do when they retire? How are they going to fill their time? How much is that going to cost? Are your are you and your spouse on or partner on the same on the same page when it comes to what you're going to spend your money on in retirement? And it's probably not going to be linear. If you look at your retirement in general, at least what I've experienced, most people will spend a lot more in their first few years than they do in the entire duration of their retirement. Because all of those big trips that they wanted to take, you know, very common ones that I hear is we've always wanted to go to Hawaii or Alaska or we've always wanted to do this month-long cruise or whatever it is, travel in particular related, or we'd like to buy a, a second home in Florida or wherever it might be. That cost hits right out of the gate uh, in those first few years. So usually the first few years are more expensive. So true financial planning, you have to take those things into account. You have to plan for, we've talked a lot about long-term care. You have to plan for that. You have to plan for what if one of the, uh, if you're married, what if your spouse uh, unfortunately uh, predeceases you or, or even dies much younger than anticipated? These are all things that have to go into the equation. So the real answer is it's individual to absolutely everybody. The number could be 100,000, the 288 that the study came up with, it could be a million or it could be much more than that. I, I don't know. But knowing the answer, one thing I know for sure is knowing the answer is always an advantage because you know what you're shooting for and you have the power and the information to know that you're either on target or you're getting there. What are the biggest surprises that couples face when they hit retirement? What, what do you see over and over again that they never really thought of before they were retired? Well, one is sometimes we talk about retirement, but in a relationship, we don't necessarily talk about what retirement looks like. That focused conversation oftentimes revolves around, I can't wait until I don't have to do my job anymore. I can't wait until I have the freedom to do what I want. But what do you want? What do you want to do? When you wake up on Monday morning and realize you don't have to go to work, neither one of you have to go to work, what does retirement look like for you? Is it watching TV and sitting on the couch? Is it yard work? Is it traveling? What is it? And I'll, I'll find oftentimes that, uh, and this has been proven, that many times people will hit retirement and actually the divorce rate goes up uh, from, you know, different age brackets if you look at it. So make sure that you have the discussion of what does retirement look like for us and make sure you're on the same page. That one can really sneak up on people and it's a difficult conversation to have. And oftentimes I'll have a husband and wife in front of me and say, well, I'm sorry, I know you're not a marriage counselor, but we're trying to work through this stuff. Uh, and hopefully I can be some semblance of a mediator there. But that's the biggest one is not truly recognizing what retirement's going to look like for them. There's many others that we can talk about, but that's the really big one that sneaks up on people. Yeah, because he's thinking he's going to golf every day. She wants to go to Europe and they're finding this out, you know, when they're retired. 
To learn strategies to manage risk and to schedule your own personalized planning session, Josh's office is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. Just want to let everyone know that you can hear Josh every Monday at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley on 98.9 The Answer for Money Mondays. So what about a couple uh, when one partner retires before the other? What kinds of, I'm sure there's challenges there too, besides one being incredibly jealous of the other. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, you're not kidding. Sometimes that is the case. You know, and then oftentimes people are not in agreement of when each other should retire. You know, let me give an example. Somebody's, you know, 70 and still working and, and uh, the other partner says, you need to retire. What are you doing? Uh, we have enough money. Just, you know, quit going. Um, or the vice versa is, you know, somebody says I'm retiring at 62 and the partner says, uh, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, no, you're don't not. Have money and, <laughs> and they say, no, I'm done. I've put in enough time. So there can be some arguments there. Matter of fact, I had seen stats that uh, between 40 and 50% of spouses disagree on when they should retire. So uh, pretty significant uh, variance there. So have the conversation, make sure you're on the same page. But other, you know, I think financial obstacles. So that's just kind of uh, emotional and, and making sure, you know, you're on the same page kind of emotionally and psychologically. But mathematical puzzles are this. When should I collect Social Security? Particularly in a husband and wife scenario, the way you collect Social Security can make a big impact in the long run. Should we collect it early? Should you take yours early? Me, I'll take mine later. Um, what if one of us passes away? Well, then there's a death benefit to Social Security, meaning you're entitled to the greater of your social security or your spouse's, whichever's greater. So does it make sense for maybe I'll start injecting some income into our, our household by collecting a little earlier, but you wait and take yours later because if something happens to either one of us, we'll need a bigger social security stream from one of us. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into when and how we collect social security that seem to be arbitrarily answered. So not doing the math on when the best time to take social security is a huge mistake. Um, health insurance, we talked about that just earlier today, and that is how should I take my Medicare and what supplement should I have? Not spending enough time and just shooting from the hip on that can have long-term effects in how much you spend on your Medicare and your supplement and your health costs. And when you're on a fixed income potentially, uh, the difference of 100 or 200 to $300 a month can be a big variance for many. So making sure you go at that consciously, doing math and making the right decision is, is, is a big one. So I think, you know, the takeaway here, and we can keep on talking about all the different, you know, loose ends of retirement, retiring separately and the hitting, you know, some of the hidden benefits of retiring at different times, like, you know, having one person paying a little bit into our household economy so we don't have to start drawing from investments as early as if we both retired on the same time. Those are all, you know, advantages and disadvantages. But the takeaway is always the same. Planning, planning, planning. Don't make decisions arbitrarily, but actually investigate. Gain the knowledge of what the right choices are, at least what your choices are, period, so that you can make the right one. Because good decisions today make big, big impacts later, and the same is true for bad decisions. And once you're retired, there's not a whole lot of redos on some of those decisions. Is it the most advantageous for couples, if they can, if they're healthy, if the jobs are available, 
to work the longest so they can they maximize their social security is that the smartest i mean unfortunately not every situation's like that where people have a job or they have their health but if they do is that the smartest move to make well, i mean mathematically what makes the most sense uh, via collecting social security is how long you live and none of us know how long we're going to live sometimes waiting to collect your social security is a necessity because we just simply need the cash flow but no, in general, you're right, Diane. I mean, the, the, the longer you wait, the more money you receive in almost every scenario. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's the right choice for you. And, and I'm seeing a huge transition when it comes to retirement income planning. We talk much more now about financial independence. So I, I often recommend that people say, I want to reach financial independence by this time period, but I may not necessarily retire. I don't know what it's going to look like then. Don't resign yourself to the fact that you're just going to pull the you're just going to pull the cord and the chute's going to open and I'm done. I'm out. But at least get yourself to a position where you can make that decision as to whether or not maybe it's just the job that you have right now that that you want to get away from, not necessarily working. So, let's get you to financial independence by a certain date. Let's make sure that we make logical decisions or have a plan in place that is executable and will stand the test of time. But then let's make the decision on actually pulling the ripcord when we get there. Don't don't just say I'm going to retire no matter what when I turn 62. Keep an open mind. Uh, you'd be surprised what doesn't bother you that bothers you now when you know you can walk into work tomorrow and tell them you're quitting. You can, it doesn't seem to have the same effect. If you'd like to see how the Aptus Blueprint process can work for you, the number to call is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick next. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, this year has already tested our anxiety on just about every level imaginable. Along those lines, what are some of the biggest sources of retirement anxiety? Well, the biggest one is certainly running out of money, right? Nobody wants to be, uh, (laughs) I hear oftentimes, well, nobody wants to be broke when they're 80. And and even more than that, the thing that I hear more than than anything is I don't want to be a burden to my kids or I don't want to be a burden to somebody. Uh, So running out of money is a huge anxiety. I actually uh, heard somewhere that, you know, you oftentimes, you're not sure what to believe when you read these stats, but I had heard that that people are more terrified of running out of money in retirement and speaking in public, public speaking, than they are of dying. So obviously running out of money is a huge cause of anxiety. Now, how do you alleviate that anxiety? You find out if you're going to run out of money. But I think that we're f- our fears are mo- most oftentimes of the unknown. 
And many times I'll have people that said, I've been worried about this for years and years and years. I'm terrified. It keeps me up at night. I'm, I'm scared I'm going to run out of money. And I, and I always ask the same question. Have you done any math to find out if your anxiety is warranted? Well, no. Well, holy, I mean, come on, let's do some math and figure out if you're, it's keeping you up at night, but you're doing nothing proactively to find out if that anxiety is warranted. That's crazy. Come in, let's do the math and find out if in fact you have anything to be anxious about. Now, the benefit to my job is many times I get to tell people that they don't have anything to be anxious about and you can see them relax. It's, it's a really cool thing to see. It's one of the, you know, we all want, we all want purpose in our occupations if we can find it. And the, that, that level when I feel a great sense of purpose is when I get to give somebody that level of comfort to know that they don't have to be anxious about that particular piece of their life. I don't, I don't think um, you'd have other... that conversation uh, with me, but, uh... <laughs> but let's go through. I don't the... know. We've never had the conversation. <laughs> I have a feeling. Um, but let's go through the Aptis blueprint process while you're mentioning that just, just so people will know when they call you what, what they're going to go through when you, can, when you can give most of them that good news. Yeah, and again, the goal of all of this is education, understanding your options, and hopefully relieving the anxiety through that information. So step one, I can't give you a plan if I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. So we're going to find out everything that you want to achieve in your retirement life and also currently. And what are you doing today and what have you been doing in the way of savings, acquiring assets to achieve whatever objectives it is that you've told me? Meeting two, we're just going to analyze what you've already given me and find out, are you on track? How much risk are, in fact, you taking? If we have another crash like we did during COVID that doesn't rebound nearly as quickly, think back to 2008 and nine. what would that impact have on your particular pot of money? And then using that information, will your arrow, in fact, hit the target of retirement and the goals that you've told us? And what are some potential things that could get in the way of that arrow hitting the target? We'll also give you an education on how risk works and how much you're taking. So you have a better understanding of what it is you're doing and what influence, influences what it is you're doing. Like a market crash, how would you be affected? And then in meeting three, we call it the blueprint meeting. We will give you an actionable plan, a blueprint that you can build your retirement on that shows these are the gaps that we addressed and here is how we fix the gaps. Here's how we improve your situation. And then in, not until meeting four, which we call our implementation meeting, we decide whether or not we'd be a good fit for one another. In other words, do you want to execute that plan with us? What does that look like? And what does a long-term relationship with us look like? How often do we do reviews, et cetera, et cetera? Because this is, in fact, a long-term relationship, one that should not be uh, made in haste or taken lightly, because we're going to know each other for a really long time. We want to make sure that we're on the same page and that it's a mutually beneficial situation. So it is a process of education of gaining knowledge. It's certainly not a salesy process of trying to sell you anything. Um, we're, it is a long process to find out if this is a good fit. The number to call to schedule your own personalized planning session is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300 to help alleviate all this retirement anxiety. And there's, there's several things that people worry about. I know you just touched on a couple before we went through the process. There's a lot of them. You know, running out of money, we already talked about, is a huge one. Uh, people are worried about inflation, particularly as the government keeps on printing money or the Fed keeps on printing money. You know, when, if ever, will that have an impact on inflation? Many of the clients that I work with obviously have lived through, you know, the 70s and 80s uh, into the early 90s when inflation was obviously a heck of a lot higher than it is today. It hasn't been a huge issue for the last 15, 20 years. Um, but that's a question that comes up often. 
Um, healthcare costs, we talked about a, about that a little bit today. You know, what is healthcare going to look like in the future? Honestly, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest wild cards is what will healthcare look like 10 or 15 years from now because we just don't know. So we plan based upon today. We put in some contingency uh, planning there, but we just don't know. The one that we do know um, and that people are oftentimes very concerned about is they understand that they, quote unquote, should have some money in the stock market, but they are terrified of stock market crashes. When you're 25 and the market pulls back really hard and we have a correction or maybe even a recession, while it, you know, it bothers us, it's not terrifying because we understand that retirement is still a really long ways away. But the fear of losing 30% of your money, even in the short run or for a few years, knowing it'll come back when you're 70, 75 years old is a whole different ballgame than when you're 25. So I talk about the impact of market corrections, recessions, and even the potential of depression almost every day. And I, I think we, we mentioned just earlier, part of the retirement planning process, the blueprint process that we undergo is talking about risk. What impacts your portfolio? What asset classes are impacted differently? And making sure that we can level set expectations on what would happen if certain things occurred. Let me give an example. If the market corrected 30% and you were 100% in the market, then obviously you're going to correct 30%. And some people are not comfortable with that, and that's okay. If we were in an, a portfolio that would only correct 10% in a 30% environment, and we can explain why that would occur, would you be comfortable with that if you understood what dynamics make that thing tick? Well, that's a different story. Explain to me how that works. What is standard deviation? What are these different things? Understanding that can give people a level of comfort to invest and stay the course more than they could before. And then knowing that you don't have to have all of your money in the stock market to achieve your goals is also an empowering thing. Knowing, okay, I have a third here, a third here, a third here. I have those three legs on the stool. If one goes down, it doesn't mean all of them went down. can add a great level of comfort. So really all of these anxieties can be put to rest large in part by planning and education can't emphasize that enough. Not uh, getting a hot stock pick, not complaining about politics, not uh, complaining about taxes, not complaining about anything. What really, and I'm not saying you don't have plenty to complain about, but what really alleviates those fears rather than just complaining is doing planning, educating, and forecasting into the future where the opportunities lie and what I need to do to achieve my goals and making sure you take those steps. That will alleviate your, your cost. And there's a bunch of others, Diane, and I don't want to drone on forever unless we still have some time left, but people are worried about at some point I'm going to pass away and I'm going to have to leave. We talked earlier, I'm going to have to leave some money to my kids or whoever my beneficiaries are. You know, who's going to handle that money? Are they going to be good stewards of my money? Are they going to do the right thing? Are they, are they prepared for that? You know, I have too much debt. You know, I'm retired and I still have a mortgage on my house. That seems like a bad thing to me. You know, what does that mean to me? Again, we'll educate if, whether that's a bad thing to have or not in their situation. Um, the fear of having children move back home because they're, they're, you know, because of COVID or because of their occupation or whatever it might be. There's plenty of areas of anxiety. Most of them, their children moving back home, I can't help them with. But most of them, we can actually alleviate maybe not all of, but at least educate you to the point where you understand whether you should be anxious or not and why. And that can be a huge help. And it's all done through education and planning. So please, please seek that out. Call our office. It'll help.
This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. The number to Josh's office is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And Josh offers free webinars about every two weeks for people to learn about some of the key concepts of retirement planning. It is no cost or obligation. Just give Josh's office a call at 614-364-7300. We have just about three minutes here. Josh wanted to end the show talking about Social Security. And what are some ways people can get more out of it? Well, the first is, and I sound like a broken record today, and I apologize, is is planning. Take the time to compare taking your benefits early versus taking them late. As a general rule, and this varies a little bit based upon what your full retirement age is, of course, but everybody in the United States, as of today, their full retirement age for Social Security is either 66 or 67 or some number in between. I fully anticipate that my number will probably be something like 92. But for everybody today, it'll be 66 to 67, and I'm joking, it won't be 92, but I, I fully anticipate that those, those uh, collection ages will go up over time. But if we assume that it's 66, if you collect at age 62, which is the earliest age that you can, assuming you're not widowed, then you get 75% of whatever your 66 number would have been. And if you wait from 66 to 70, you get 132% or 32% more of whatever your benefit would have been at 66. So waiting obviously can create a situation of a significant more amount of money, almost eight, I mean, 8% per year, simple interest to over 66 and about 8% per year prior to that, a little bit less, but close. So not doing the math to see what makes the most sense for you is the biggest error when it comes to social security that there can be. And the unfortunate part is what most people do is they will go to the Social Security office looking for advice. And I promise you that while there are certainly great people that work at the Social Security office, there are also some not so great people that work at the Social Security office, just like every other you know, entity in the world. And technically speaking, the Social Security office is not allowed to give you advice. They are allowed to give you numbers on what your options are, but not advice. So if you're going there for advice, not only should you not get it, but if you get it, you don't know if it's the right advice or good advice that's particular to you. So don't go there looking for advice. Have the answer on what you want to do before you go in. And the other big one is don't look at your Social Security on the way that you're going to collect in a wind tunnel ignoring your spouse. If you're married, what you do can have a significant impact on your spouse and the way that their, their benefits would be if you were deceased and potentially their spousal benefits if they're entitled to that beyond their own benefits. So make sure you look at your options, you investigate, don't count on the Social Security office for advice. And if you do those things, I think you'll be in a much better spot. And make sure you call Josh. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. And just want to give you another reminder, you can listen to Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to us today. We know you have a lot of choices out there. We appreciate you spending time with us. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. 
to learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy. Join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company.